Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. Money isn't money, it's all debt. So if you want no more debt, give me all your money. Uh, debt. <laughs> my name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking this morning? Dude, I'm, I'm good, and it's because I dare to try one of the world's oldest and most distinctive black teas. There was this guy... He was um he was like bumming at my place for like a week. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and he left this tea, Lapsang Sushang, and the box itself, like it has like strengths, notes, smoky, pungent, woody. <laughs> like it, it's so ridiculous. Uh so I made some and before I even tasted it, it smelled like a fireplace. Like yep. it was it is really good. It's really good. It's like a mixture between a fireplace and smoked salmon. <laughs> is what it smells like to me. And wouldn't you know it, I am drinking some Laksang Suchong right now as well. You know what? I, I've gotten into a bad habit of leaving tea at places. I left tea at your place, and then I bought more tea and left it at Matt's place. Dude, uh, bad <laughs> habit. It's it's like uh, the nicest thing. Like, you leave, and then there's, like, this cool tea left over. Like, oh, wow. Like That's true, yeah. I guess it's just a little gift. Yeah, I'm I was going to say, gift, it's like one of your habit. tricks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, today's catchphrase was sent to us on Twitter by at uh, Andrew underscore MMH. And you know what? I have never asked for catchphrases that I can remember on the show before. I know Matt used to all the time. So Shame I'm going to start you, that dude. tradition up again. Yeah, I've been forgetting entirely. It's because we deleted the whole like intro thing out of our document. And That's you just true. want me to memorize it? Come on, Andrew. <laughs> slave driver. Anywho, if you want to get your catchphrases on the show... Or make Andrew sing some dumb song you made up. That's totally cool too. You can send us catchphrases on Twitter at Money Matters Man or in the community or uh, what Facebook. I don't know. Smoke signals. <laughs> there are several ways to contact us, and any of them are cool. But Twitter is probably the best one. And if you hashtag it with catchphrase, it's really easy for us to see. Mm. So anyway, today we are talking about taxes, in particular some business taxes. And I know Andrew, you like very selfishly interested in this topic. Uh, but taxes in general as well. And our guest on the show is Diane Gardner, who is the founder of TaxCoachForYou.com with a number four in the URL. So, Diane, how's it going? It's doing great. And I'm also drinking tea this morning, only mine's a cinnamon tea. Ooh. Are you? Is it like an herbal infusion or is it actually tea tea? It's actually tea. Okay, interesting. So, Diane, um, I feel like with my finances that I've like done a great job investing, you know, I have this like business going, blah, 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 all this stuff. But I pay a stupid amount in taxes every year. Like, I think people, would they would like be blown backwards out of their chair if they heard how much I pay in taxes. And I feel like um, I've used TurboTax. I oh, feel, no. yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, one of my questions is like, how, okay, fine. Let's start here. How dumb am I for using TurboTax? On a scale of one to ten, <laughs> an eleven. Really? <laughs> really? Why? Their commercials are so good. They are, and the best thing about TurboTax is it'll let you do just about anything, legal or not. It doesn't matter. It lets you do it, hmm. and it's the accountants' uh, scariest nightmare is a tax return done on TurboTax for anybody really? who's got a business. If you've okay. just got a W-2, you know, and that's all you've got rolling, no big deal. But if you're running a business, TurboTax lets you get so creative that we find business deductions over on the itemized deduction schedule down at the miscellaneous. 
area where they lose 2% of their income get subtracted from it. We find personal deductions on business schedules. We find schedules that we've never seen before because they answered a question and TurboTax made a schedule. Yeah, it's a, it's a very scary program. Oh my gosh, it sounds like when you uh, design a website in Microsoft Word and like the code is 60 pages long for just the, hey, this is a picture of my dog. <laughs> so I used TurboTax uh, when I was a student and for my personal expenses. But yeah, I started using an accountant uh, a couple of years ago with my business expenses. And yeah, it's it's a lot better and a lot. I feel much, a lot safer with what yes, I'm doing. Much better. <laughs> so um, I, I want to maybe start. I, I want to definitely dive into business taxes, but I want your opinion uh if you're just some guy or girl and you're, you're trying to make some money on the side d- does it make sense to go through the hassle of getting an llc can you just uh does this stuff matter on your taxes well that's a really good question and it has a lot of different answers to it first of all for those who aren't familiar with an llc it's a limited liability company And some states are very LLC friendly and others aren't, like the state of California is not. And Hmm. so we have to be very careful what state we're in to see if it's it's an LLC friendly state, number one. And then what are the reasons behind becoming an LLC? The main reason people do it is for the limited liability. So are you in a business that has the potential for some liability? If you're not, then an LLC may not be the best fit for you, but it might. Uh, because one of the major advantages of an LLC is its flexibility. Mm. It can act like a sole proprietor. It can act like an S-corp. It can act like a C-corp. Or if you've got a partner, it can act like a general partnership. Or it can act like an, like an S-corp again or a C-corp again. To where it's a very, very flexible planning tool. And it's one of my favorite planning tools. But I'm going to sum all that up to say, Andrew, it depends. <laughs> So, so how do you know if your business is the kind of business that's open to liability? Because mm-hmm. in my mind, it's like, this is America. People will sue you for literally anything. Like if you sell cat sweaters and someone strangles and dies trying to put it on. like Yeah, there's a loose thread on the cat sweater. You, <laughs> if someone steps on it, strangles their cat, you know. <laughs> yeah, Taking you for everything you've got, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> there's some real businesses that are real obvious. Uh, businesses that, that deal with your vehicle. So an auto repair shop, an auto body shop, mm. a brake shop, a transmission shop, all of those guys, I say you, ha- you cannot operate as a sole proprietor, not in today's society. Mm. Because if you're even remotely open to the door of that car, somehow you're going to get listed in the line if there's an event of a lawsuit. Yeah. Um, truck drivers is another big one. They're out on the highways. They can't be a sole proprietor, and so many of them still are. Because if there's a lawsuit, they're going to get sucked into it, whether it was their fault or not, just because they had the biggest truck or the biggest vehicle in the accident. Um, If you're giving advice, financial advice, those types of things, legal Uh advice, professional (laughs) advice, you're going to get sucked into a lawsuit at some point, so you probably want some protection out there. I just sell cat sweaters, so I'm Cat sweaters, you (laughs) might be safe. Just keep your loose threads trimmed. <laughs> so it well, I've always wondered what, con- what constitutes advice. Because, like, if you're just running a fun little blog where you're like, hey, this is what I do with my money, like, are you giving financial advice or are you just kind of putting an opinion online? Put an opinion and put that little blurb at the bottom that this is just intended to be my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
you know, we try to do some of that on, on some of the stuff I say out there. You know, this is my opinion. Yeah. This is not meant to be relied upon because we do live in a terrible litigious society. Nobody wants to take ownership or accountability for their own actions anymore. Mm. It does seem that way. So um, you you like listed out a slew of uh, company types. I mean, sole proprietorship, um, S corp, all this stuff. Uh, if you're selling cat sweaters, do you need to like? Will any of these things uh, improve your taxes, or is it literally just for liability reasons? They generally they can improve your taxes. If you get to the point where your business is past the hobby stage and it really is a legitimate business and you're making a nice profit off of it, then it can really become a tax planning tool. Um, I'll give you just a real quick example. About three, maybe four years ago now, I was working with a fellow who owned a machine shop. He was operating as a sole proprietor. And when I saw his tax return, my eyeballs started popping out of my head like they might if I saw yours, Andrew. <laughs> started popping out of my head. Oh, my gosh, he's got to get some help, and he needs it now. So I, I was able to sit down with him and put together a customized tax plan for him. And as a result of changing his entity type from that sole proprietor to an LLC who elected to be taxed like an S-corporation, we were able to save him an average between thirty and thirty-three thousand dollars a year what? in income tax every oh single year for the last four years. So he was pulling down what Some was that? Five hundred k in profit then. Three hundred k in profit. Three hundred k. Okay, because yeah, this yeah. is actually the exact th- same thing that I did this year. Um, opened an LLC and elected to have it taxed as an S corp because yeah, it's the same thing where um, I was realizing that and maybe you can explain this a little better than I can. When you're doing it as a sole proprietor, you're paying all of your income up to like what one hundred and eight thousand dollars or something like that um, as the self-employment tax. So it's like fifteen percent of your income is just taken right off the top. Fifteen point three percent of your profit, not your income, but your profit. Right. Profit, yeah. yeah, goes right out the door for self-employment tax. So where that strategy really starts working nicely is we t- we turn you into an LLC if you're in the in a state that's LLC friendly. Mm-hmm. And then we elect to have you taxed as an S-corp. Then we set you up on a reasonable salary as the owner. And that's a salary that's based on some research that has to be done. Yeah. And so in essence, you're paying self-employment tax on that salary, but you're not paying it on the rest of the net profit of your business. Mm-hmm. And that's where the tax saving starts c- coming in. Right, yeah. I think the way uh, we were looking at it, I would, I would be able to save... Um, Possibly over like five k. That's uh, good. Though every year, yeah, yeah. Though what my accountant told me was, you do have to make sure you're making a significant profit over what a reasonable salary would be. Because what I didn't realize is, um, I'm going to have to pay him to set up payroll and yeah. then do a corporate tax return as well at the end of the year and everything. So it has to, uh, the savings have to outweigh the extra costs of doing the LLC structure like that. Sounds like you've got a good accountant. Yes. Yes, and so we always do a cost analysis to make sure that we can make this thing work so that the client is still coming out ahead with tax savings. Mm-hmm. So how do you know um, whether your state is LLC friendly? Is there a list of friendly and, and not friendly states somewhere online or do you have to ask a attorney or something? 
No, I know. I I personally purchase a book every year that shows me all the tax information about all 50 states. And mm-hmm. in that particular book, it'll tell me if they have a gross receipts tax on an LLC like the state of California does. So in that state, you pay a minimum of $800 or a percentage of your gross receipts, whichever is higher. Mm. And so we don't see... Just for being an LLC? Yeah, you don't see too many LLCs in California. Uh, But a lot of the other states are LLC friendly in that there's no real high minimum tax. Um, I know where I'm at in in Idaho, there's no minimum tax at all. Unless you elect to be taxed as an S-Corp, then we have a $20 minimum tax, which like that's no big deal. Yeah, I drop that in my pocket every day. Though <laughs> <laughs> so, it doesn't matter where you live, right? Because I've heard a lot of companies will establish their corporations in Delaware. Or is that only for C corps and S corps? It does matter where you live. Where oh, you live okay. is the state is where you, well, where you domicile and may or may, may or may not be where you live, but it's where you're doing business in is the state you will pay taxes to. Okay, establishing your corporation in Delaware or in Nevada. Only the only difference there is you look at those state laws when it comes time to the problems that happen in life. Ah. What do those states have in the way of their legal system that is a plus to you? It's not a tax saving strategy. And people over the years have had the real big misconception that if you do my corp in Nevada or in Delaware, I won't have to pay any tax. And that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do your corp in an offshore account on some like unnamed island where you like stroke a cat and have a monocle, then you don't pay any tax, right? Well, then you get to file an FBAR return and you get to <laughs> disclose that you have money in an <laughs> offshore account and then you're on the government's I'm going to watch you list. So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so the whole picture like in the social network where the, the big wig Silicon Valley investors are like, we're going to set up a, a, a Delaware corporation for this. Like that's not going to save you taxes basically not not generally save them taxes it might help them with some liability issues okay so a uh, question that will probably apply to me soon i don't know if we'll ever apply to andrew mm. my llc is set up in iowa where i live but next year i will probably move to a new state um can i still leave my llc set up in iowa or do i have to reset it up in the new state more than likely, you'll have to reset it up in the new state and close it out in Iowa. Okay. Oh, shit. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, want, I want to go like a step back because you, you had mentioned um, hobby, you know, and then you're making serious income and then it starts to matter. Can you kind of like – I think a lot of people uh, in the audience – know that they probably should diversify their income, are probably interested in doing this stuff. Are there tax advantages from the beginning of the hobby stage or you have to be like making $2,000 a month profit before it, it really makes sense? Well, Andrew, the thing with the hobby stage is the government or the IRS says that if you make a profit, you have to report it and tell us. Mm-hmm. But if you lose money, you can only lose money up to the extent that you have income. So you can never have a loss on your tax return. So you've got to be careful on these, quote, hobbies. And we want to try to show that they have a for-profit intention. Mm-hmm. They may not make money, but we're intending to make money. We're acting like a business. We're doing this stuff to make it be a legitimate business. Because we don't want to be mm-hmm. limited on those expenses. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if I was trying to start a website podcast and I had a 
pay people like my cat sweater business <laughs> um and i had to pay people to make a website and and i had to i don't know get the street paved outside my place so they can come and buy my sweaters or something uh but I'm, and i'm losing money but i have a job that makes me money does this loss in my hobby reduce my personal taxable income if it's a hobby no it doesn't because we can't take those losses if it's a legitimate side business, then potentially. So, so okay. it, I mean, it's in the hobby stage because I just started, but I clearly want to be the premier cat sweater maker. <laughs> so in that case, I would be able to. You got to take that title it's from me, bro. Take, <laughs> as long as we stay away from the H word, the hobby word. Mm. So <laughs> I've heard something to the effect that like, if you take a loss for more than three years, the government like de facto considers it a hobby and you can't record well, those losses anymore or something like that maybe that's another one of those myths out there is it okay you, yeah you really can lose money for more than three years but if let's say six five six seven years down the road you're still losing money at your quote business mm -hmm. at that point it would be really hard to make the case with an irs auditor that you really have a profit intent Unless okay. you had things like you had a business plan, you had a, a plan laid out that, you know, you're going to turn the corner next year or something like that. It, it was but just you, too soon for cat sweaters. The, <laughs> the people weren't ready for them. They weren't. <laughs> so Okay, so it's less a hard and fast rule and more the IRS is going to look at each individual case for intent. Um, and that's how they'll classify how pretty, your business pretty much. is working. Yeah, I mean, there are some general rules, you know, as accountants. If someone's losing money for more than three or four years, we really start having the, the hobby talk with them. Mm -hmm. Is this really a hobby? Should we discontinue it? Are we starting to get to the point where it's looking suspicious? Are you really legitimately running a business that's losing money? And then in that case, if so are you throwing good money after bad? You know, maybe it's time to invest in something else. That's true. You do get to the point where you're like, you're probably losing more from your bad business idea because nobody wants to put mm -hmm. swears in their cats, Andrew, <laughs> than you would be in saving on your taxes. You bet. Yeah. So um, say you make a lot of money, right? You're, you're in a high tax bracket. You pay a lot in taxes. Um, you want to create another stream of income. Um, but you, you have like money to spare to invest in it. Is it a prudent tax strategy to spend heavy with the intention of making money but reduce your taxable income? Like, Does that make sense? It does make sense. I see it all the time. It does help on tax returns. Um, just here again, make sure that you can show the business intent, the profit intent. Make sure you're doing things right that you've taken out any you know business license or whatever if your city requires it you've set yourself up to where you are a legitimate business that could not be disputed by an irs auditor so i um i thought that this might be a thing with my zero uh tax knowledge and i just decided to like lose money for two years i don't know if it was the best approach at building this business but i did declare a loss I also did use TurboTax, so I probably paid more in taxes than necessary. Is it possible to like revise past returns, or is it, that's over and done with? You, we can go back and amend a prior year return. They are open for a three-year period. Mm. What? That's yes, and we do it all the time when we pick up clients who have done their own taxes on TurboTax. 
that's one of the first things we do is let them know the mistakes they've made <laughs> and offer to amend for them for a nice tidy sum, of course. You are making me so happy right now, Diane. <laughs> we can fix everything. <laughs> I can fix it, Andrew. It's okay. <laughs> oh, my tax returns are perfect, so. Right, know. right. Yeah, okay, Thomas. <laughs> the, the problem is we can only go back three years, so we can't go back those other years. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes I'll get a new client and they'll say, but I've been doing this for like seven or eight years. And it's like, sorry, you gave that money to the IRS. Oh, it's man. money yeah. you didn't have to give them. So speaking of seven or eight years, um, which is a common figure for this I've heard thrown around, how long are you supposed to keep all of your documentation, receipts, um, old returns, that kind of stuff in case you get audited? We generally tell our clients to keep them for seven years with the exception of the important documents. You bought a home or a building, you sold um, an asset of some sort, those those really important tax documents. You Mm want to keep those pretty much forever, but the other stuff pretty much seven to eight years. I am so glad you told me that. I sold a house like three months ago. And I was like, I am done with that. I was like literally about to throw out the, the huge stack of closing papers. Um, and I just haven't mostly because I'm lazy. Dude, there's a service. I don't remember what it's called, but they'll like digitize all your stuff for you and just send you PDFs. Mm, I, I digitize so my just... single page things, but I don't know if you've seen a closing packet. It's like roughly one million I want to see a closing packet. Yeah, that's the... what I've heard. <laughs> it's scary. They should just yeah, start doing that most... stuff electronically. Yeah, the most important page is that settlement page, mm-hmm. that one or two pages with all the numbers on it. That's the, probably the most important part out of there. But I know myself, I not too long ago had to go back and dig out something from a, a property that we dealt with like 10 years ago, and I was glad I still had the paperwork on it. Really? Yes. So 10 years ago, wow. Diane, um, w- uh, I started uh, listening to, uh, not reading because – Whatever. Um, I guess I'm a podcaster, so I listen <laughs> to Tax Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. Do do you th- like hate me now? Like, do people come to you because they've read this book and think they're like tax experts? Uh, and what's your opinion on the book? Well, I'm gonna have to say I've never even heard of the book. Really? So I, I'm. I don't hate you. No, anybody <laughs> who's who's out there looking for ways to reduce their taxes, it's great. Uh, uh, so I'm going to have to say I have not read the book. Okay, so I want to give you like a, a quick synopsis, and I, w- I want your maybe opinion. Um, okay. This guy, Tom Wheelwright, he's the tax advisor for uh, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad guy. I think his name's like okay. Kawasaki. Robert guy, Kiyosaki. Guy Kiyosaki. Yeah, <laughs> and um, he said that the U.S. tax code is like less than 1% focused on how much you pay, and the other 99% plus is on how to reduce what you pay or, or incentives. Correct. Um, and he, so he says to be a good citizen is not to pay the IRS every dollar. The, to be a good citizen is to follow the incentives the lawmakers want you to follow to grow the economy and all that stuff and thus reduce your taxes. Very good. Uh huh. I agree. So it's not just a nice little narrative that we can tell ourselves like that's actually that's actually the intent. Pretty much, it, it actually is. Though in a feel, it feels like it's the opposite. It feels like they want you to pay, mm-hmm. uh, but most people don't know what they don't know, so they don't realize that there's legitimate strategies. Something as simple as hiring your children to work in your business. 
hiring your spouse mm. to work in your business and be able to write off some of your out-of-pocket medical costs through your business or mm. taking advantage of the meals and entertainment deductions that are out there or the auto-related deductions, whether it's standard mileage or you're actually tracking actual costs. A lot of people aren't aware of those. And that's just a few of the of the easier little ones that we, we try to make sure that all of our clients are taking advantage of. Yeah. Oh, so speaking of the meals and entertainment thing, I was out with some friends in Colorado recently. And um, one of them told me that apparently for expenses under $75, I think, you don't have to keep your receipts. Now, I looked it up and it said this was only for like meals, entertainment, transportation. But is that generally true? You can kind of just rely on your bank statement for those kind it's, of expenses? It's it's generally true, but you have to have five pieces of information. Okay. You have to have the date that it took place. Mm -hmm. You have to have the location it took place. You have to know the dollar amount of the meal or whatever it was. All right. You have to put down who you were with, mm -hmm. the people's names, and what oh. was your business topic of conversation. So if you don't have your receipt and you've written a couple of those things on the back of the receipt, then you must have it in a calendar of some sort, a journal, a someplace, a diary of some sort, so that you can get that expense as a legitimate write-off without the receipt. So if you're using okay. something like Xero, uh, XERO, or QuickBooks, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and you just like write, so you, you, it pulls in your bank data like Mint or anything does, and you just write in the comment thing like, was with Thomas discussing cat sweaters, uh, you know, and that's it. Like, is that sufficient? Or does it need to be more like in depth, like cat sweater distribution in the Asia market? <laughs> <laughs> right. I would go a little bit more than discussing cat sweaters. <laughs> a little more detail in there. Uh, but definitely uh, get something in that memo area and make sure that you, you, know, that you protect that deduction. So, so now, you if you do have the receipt, do you still have to have all this uh, memo about people and topic and everything? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. And, and we, we, we recommend that, that, you write it, that you write that right on the receipt so that okay. it's obvious when that auditor is trying to to disallow it that you've got right on here. Hey, I met with so-and-so and here's what our, was our topic of conversation. Is okay. it necessary to have physical copies? Like, like if you like rip out like this folder of like archaic pieces of like printer paper that with like names scratched in the back is, does the IRS agent like, Whoa, like I obviously can't disapprove this or could you be diligent digitizing it throughout a hundred percent of receipts and be fine? They don't care if it's in a digital format or in a paper format as long as you can show the receipts. And I just went through an audit with a client that I'm going to call it the audit from hell because the auditor threw out every charge on their credit card statement that they did not have an actual receipt for. And this client was under the impression that his credit card statement was proof enough Mm -hmm. And it's not. The IRS will say that the receipt shows you actually purchased the item. The credit card statement or the bank statement shows that you paid for the item. Oh, wow. And so so it, something like zero wouldn't be sufficient because huh. it's not the actual receipt, paper or otherwise. Right. So you, in addition to zero mm. or QuickBooks, you would have to also have the receipt whether it's in a paper or a digital format. Wow. Like I leave restaurants with my wife and I think I'm so slick. I literally crumple up the receipt before I leave the restaurant. Uh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> Snap a picture of it with your phone if you're going to, before you do that. Yeah. Something. 
so you have that receipt because this was a very eye-opening, rude awakening audit for this particular client. And he was frantically trying to recreate receipts, which was fine on some of his smaller vendors. They could go back and give him a printout or something. Mm -hmm. But on a restaurant, on a Home Depot, on a Lowe's, on a Costco, things like that, they're not going to go back and give you your receipt from three years ago. Interesting. Yeah. So, so oh, he lost out big time. And does this qualify? Does this apply to everything? Like if I have a contractor that, um, I don't know, like stands with a sign on a corner for me, um, do I need a receipt that they that I pay them if they're a contractor? If they've invoiced you, you should have the receipt, right? So if I just send them a check, uh, if like if they send me an email, like um, stood on sign for 10 hours, you owe me $1,000. And uh, the email is your receipt. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's a good question to answer. Um, my girlfriend has started doing freelance design stuff and she's like, do I need to send them some crazy invoice with letterheads and everything? And uh, my general answer that I've always been told is not as long as you send them some sort of document that said, I did this for you, it cost this much. Yeah, I, I like to see a logo on it. I like to see a phone number on it. You know, the legitimate, mm-hmm. that this is a legitimate person, that okay. this person really is an independent contractor and they're not my employee because mm-hmm. they really do have their own business because that's another oh, thing. Yeah. You know, IRS would always love to make somebody your employee. <laughs> and it's like, no, they're an independent contractor. See, they are self-employed. Mm-hmm. So... That's a good question to get into because I think a lot of people who are looking at starting an LLC are probably going to get to the point where they're bringing contractors on. What defines a contractor versus an employee? Because I guess I really wasn't under the impression the IRS wants to make people your employees. Well, they'd love to make them your employee because if they're if they are your employee, then you get to pay payroll taxes for them, and oh, you fun. get to provide workers' comp insurance, and you get to pay unemployment insurance. Sounds like a privilege. Yeah, right. In the IRS's eyes, it is. But as a, as a business owner, a lot of times you, you want to make them an independent contractor so you don't have to pay those things. So the difference, for it. Yeah, the difference is um, we come down to some th- like three different basic areas. And the first one is the control area. Who has control? Mm-hmm. Do you as the business owner have control how they do the job, when they do the job, where they do the job, do you provide training for them or do they come in with sufficient skills they know how to do it? Who's in charge, basically? Then that, there's about 10 different questions that we go through on the who's in charge area. Then are they at any financial risk? So do they get paid whether you get paid? Do you pay them by the hour, kind of like maybe you would an employee? Mm-hmm. Or they paid a percentage of the job and they only get paid when you get paid, you know, some of those kinds of things. Is there a financial risk? And then okay. another question they like to look at is who's providing the supplies, the tools, the materials to do the job? Are you mm-hmm. the business owner providing those things or is the employee or independent contractor providing? So okay. I just got off, I had a phone consultation with another podcaster yesterday who was looking at should I turn all my team members into an employee or should they be independent contractors like they have been. Mm -hmm. So we went down this long list of stuff from the IRS and at the very end we determined that her team members should stay independent contractors because they all work from home. They can do the job at any time of the day or night that they want to. 
they provide their own computer, their own internet access, their own everything. Mm. Um, she does provide them with a couple pieces of software to coordinate stuff, but they provide everything else. Yeah. And, you know, we had some factors that maybe looked like they could have been employees and that she paid them by the hour. And it is an ongoing, repetitive work that they're doing for her. So we mm -hmm. had to get over a couple of those hurdles. But when we all shook down to it, it weighed more heavily in the favor of them staying independent contractors. Okay. So I know you can do, you know, hourly by the project. I've heard of some entrepreneurs just paying people on like retainer. Like you do this work for me and for like 500 bucks a month or something like that. So flat fee work, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's, maybe it's like not... I guess in that case, you probably just want the, the contractor to invoice you for the exact work they did instead of just being like, you do whatever I want for 500 bucks a month, then it may vary. Right, right. So then they would just invoice you the flat monthly fee for 500 bucks mm -hmm. a month. Here's what you get. Okay. And every month I just invoice you $500. Gotcha. Now, so if you want someone to be an independent contractor, they need tools. It's probably better to just maybe advance them money or something and then be like, you got to buy everything yourself. Correct, correct, right. Okay. And then also there's a question is, are they available to do that same or similar work for somebody else? Mm, you right. don't have exclusive right to that person. That mm -hmm. helps make them an independent contractor. Okay. So um, I, I know like when we, were, we brought you on, and, and I know like nothing of taxes, although I know a hell of a lot more already. I was like, oh, we're going to do LLC taxes because that makes sense. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but we, I think kind of naturally are talking a lot about business, uh, is as someone who lives in the U S and pays taxes to the government, is it crazy to not have a business? Like it is, does it make like a, a ton of financial sense to at least attempt to do something with a business? Cause there are so many incentives. So I guess, are you asking, like, should every single person just have a business for the tax incentives, basically? Yeah. And I'm going to say no, because there's a certain <laughs> group of people out there who have no business being in business. <laughs> <laughs> they do not have an entrepreneurial bone in their body. <laughs> um, and those guys really just lose money and end up, you know, not making the whole thing work. Yeah. So if they have the ability to have some sort of an entrepreneurial spirit about them, then you bet. Find something, some un, some need or some want that isn't being filled and get out there and fill it. Mm -hmm. And I think it really comes down to intent too. Like if, if we're saying start a business because it'll save you on taxes, like that's your intent. And I think that's kind of the wrong way to well, go about yeah, it. Yeah, Then you're never going to make any profitable whatever. But I mean, right. we, we've at least given them the idea of cat sweaters. So I expect yeah. to be able to buy a cat sweater in like a year. Anybody can have that. Yeah. But if you want to send me a royalty check. You well, know yeah, well, obviously they're, they're <laughs> going to pay us for this. But <laughs> I heard that you can deduct your health insurance premiums off your taxes if you have a business. Uh, if you're paying your own health insurance. If you have a side... It depends? Okay. Oh, because the, the whole Affordable Care Act or Obamacare changed the rules in that arena. Okay. So potentially, depending on what type of entity type you're running in and depending on some other things, you can potentially write off your medical costs in your business. That's a okay. very broad brush statement there. Gotcha. So it probably doesn't do a whole lot of good to like try to drill into an individual thing on that. Just ask your accountant is probably the advice, maybe. Well, um, 
we, we do that through a Section 105 plan or Medical Expense Reimbursement Plan. Okay. And it works really well with a sole proprietorship where you can hire your spouse to work in your business. Mm-hmm. It does not work very well in an in most LLCs or in S-Corps. It works very well, again, in a C-Corp. So that's why I said it depends on your entity type and it depends on some other things. But when it works, it works well, and it's a strategy I use fairly often with my tax plans for people. Gotcha. But it doesn't work for LLCs. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I know I've seen some video that was like, you can deduct your your health insurance premiums if you own a business. And I was like, I didn't do that. But I have an LLC, so I don't feel too bad. Right. And you used to be able to do more with it. But with the Affordable (coughs) Care Act and their their rules and stuff that go with health insurance plans now with not having limits and things like that, it has has closed that down a little bit. Okay. But it's still a viable tax planning tool in the right situation. We use it quite often. Cool. Um, if you, I, I feel like we're just like asking, like, can we do this? Can we do this? What about this? Can we do this? Uh, if, if you um, say own a home, right, uh, versus paying rent, like, uh, could you like deduct rent? Uh, like, if you own a home and you're not renting it out to somebody, are there deductions in that? Like, does it? Yes, there are, because then we start looking at potential business use of home if you're running a home business like it appears that you guys might be working from home Mm -hmm. and we start looking at the home office deduction Mm -hmm. but here again it works better in certain entities than in others if you're if you're operating your llc and you're being taxed as an s corp then it doesn't work so hot we have to look at accountable reimbursement plan as a way Mm -hmm. to try to get some of those costs reimbursed because we do not have the option of business use of home like we do with a sole proprietor. So it's the famous accounting answer is it depends. (laughs) It really, yeah. That's that's what I keep hearing from my accountant as well. (laughs) So um, my naive, uh, and this is like maybe as of like two months ago, my naive impression of tax people was that um, it, it was like similar to like Halloween costume shops where like the month before tax season, they all appear, they, they, do, they do our taxes, and then they, I don't know, they fly back to the moon or something. Um, how much of your job is returns and how much of your job is all the other stuff that I don't know about? Well, Andrew, I'm going to say I'm not your typical accountant. Mm-hmm. Your typical accountant does tax returns, you know, late January through April, and then they work on some extensions during the summer. But we, but they tend to look mainly at your history. They're constantly recording your history. They're telling you what happened in last year, last month, last quarter. I'm different in that, in that I'm very much proactive, and so I want to help you rewrite your future so that your future turns out the way you want it and help you plan your way to a lower tax liability. So that means, yes, I do hundreds of tax returns right now during tax season because we're recording this in the tail end of March. Mm-hmm. But at, as soon as tax season is over, I've got this nice little list of people just waiting for me to emerge from tax season so we can sit down and give them a free tax analysis where I look at their last two years' tax returns come up with some ideas and suggestions for them. And then once we determine how much 
taxes that they're potentially overpaying, then we sit down and I prepare a whole customized tax plan for them and I coach them on how to change the outcome of next year's tax return and will actually help them with the implementation of their plan. And so that makes me completely different because now I get to be the tax superhero instead of the person who's telling you, Andrew, you get to write a check for $28,932 no. <laughs> to the IRS. And, and let's see, I believe you have state tax where you are. So let's throw in another 18000 to the state of, um, are, you, are you in New York or New Jersey, wherever New Jersey. you're at? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so let's let's just you know you've got fifty thousand dollars laying around, don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when I'm the tax superhero, when we sit down and do next year's taxes, I say, Andrew, because you've implemented X Y Z strategy that we talked about this year, and because you did this and this and this, your tax savings was twenty six thousand, eighteen thousand, twelve thousand, whatever it is. <laughs> And you were, we were able to lower your estimated tax payments. I always have a plan for what they're going to do with those tax savings. The story I told you earlier, that particular client has bought a commercial building. So he's mm -hmm. no longer paying rent. And he's hoping within about a five-year time period to have that building completely paid for with tax savings. Wow. wow. Yes. Diane, you said you're, you emerge from your cave after tax season and you have this nice list is there space on that list for more people you bet yes <laughs> I, I will always make space for anybody who comes in from one of my podcasts a host or the one of the podcast shows there definitely will always make space for them on my list because this is such a phenomenal thing there's very few people that will actually sit down and coach your help you coach your way to a lower tax liability so this episode is not going live for a few days. So I have like a head start on everyone who's listening. <laughs> you do. I, I will get you in first thing. Yes. Okay. Sweet. All right. I definitely want to be on this list. I'm like super excited. When my wife comes home, she's going to hate me because I will not shut up about taxes. <laughs> like a kid in a candy she's, shop talking about taxes. She's going to go, oh no, she is ruined for life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she's just two months. Like, can you just stop talking about taxes already <laughs> awesome well for people who uh don't need um i guess like personal plans yet do you have other resources that they can use to learn what they should I be doing do. i do if they'll go out to my website www.taxcoachforyou.com and that's using the number four they can request a free copy of my book called the 10 most expensive mistakes that cost business owners thousands and that book is going to talk about these various little concepts that we were talking about today as far as just quick little ways that they can save some money. I feel and like I failed on all of these things already. <laughs> that's okay because we can start fixing it from this day forward. <laughs> and then they can also order a copy of my Stop Overpaying Your Taxes Now book. And that one is actual case studies that I've put together from my own clientele over the last few years. Cool. I, I'm just so excited that we can go back two years and like, I mean, so much has happened in the past two years. Like, I, I don't even want to go back further than that. Like, if we can <laughs> get anything from the past two years, oh, man. Have you had your LLC for the past two years or were you doing it sole? So I, I was doing it sole. I've had my LLC since mid uh, last year, so 2015. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, the one thing I was kicking myself for massively was I didn't learn about this LLC 
um, uh, self-employment tax, you know, S-Corp set up till December of last year. And when I heard about it, I didn't know there was a deadline. So I was like, oh, I'm going to save so much of my 2015 taxes. And then it's like, no, you have to submit this within, you know, two and a half months of the year that you want to set it up. So unless you can time travel back to March and go 88 miles an hour, you're just going to be paying all your taxes for 2015. So I definitely overpaid for 2015. Yeah, another real quick example, I met a fellow author at a book signing event, and he was operating just as a sole proprietor. So we were able to do a late S election for him and get it to be retroactive to the beginning of the year and saved him about $8,000 in taxes wow. first year out the gate with us. Really? So, yes. What's the deadline for the late one, or is it just... You have up to... Th- up to the time that the statute of limitations expires on a tax return to potentially do a late S election. But there's some things that have to have happened in that past history to be able to get it to go through as a late S election. Okay. Interesting. I may have to ask my accountant about that. (laughs) Yeah. And you may or may not be able to qualify for that given your individual circumstance. Okay. So, but you know, I always say if at the minimum, you know, jump on and get some tax planning help now for the future, even if we can't fix the past as far as a late S election or something like that. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Diane, you have the most pleasant voice to listen about taxes <laughs> from like ever. Like I, I'm excited to talk to you about taxes. Uh, I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to our conversation offline mm-hmm. and... We'll, we'll get some information and see what we can do to help you. And then we can come back later down the road, possibly, and say, here's how we are, here's some of the, the real outcomes of what you can accomplish. Oh, absolutely. I, I want everyone to know, like, because I think, like, all the things that I'm failing at, I, I'm guessing everyone is also basically doing the same terrible things. So, probably. Yeah. I'm probably doing terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> Diane, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really yeah. enlightening. Yeah, you're welcome. This has been a lot of fun. I, I love it when I just get these kind of off-the-cuff questions. <laughs> yeah. So, guys, if you want to check out Diane's books or any of her other stuff, it's uh, taxcoach4u.com with the number four. Otherwise, if you have questions for us about personal finance, debt, income, whatever, uh, matters at gmail.com, and you can also send us catchphrases there. So definitely do that if you think of one. We've also got a community of money nerds, and if you want to join us, head on over to listenmoneymatters.com slash join. And you can get involved with that. And lastly, all of our favorite money resources and books and things we recommend can be found at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. And I think that's all we got for you guys. So until next week, later, guys. And uh, talk to you later, Andrew. Later, Thomas. Tell your friends about this show.